You look much better. Jail has been good for me. Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm strip club cynic Sarah D. Bunting, and my co-host is inappropriately amusing drop gun conflict Jeb Lund. Hello, Jeb. This isn't my gun either. <laughs> That's what she said. Today we're joined by the co-director of Vinyl Nation, who asked to come on Quaid in Full to discuss this film, and I, for one, can't wait to hear why. It's Kevin Smokler. Hello, Kevin. Hi. Uh, and I, I think I asked to come on to talk about everybody's All-American, having grown up in a, a Midwestern football town, but somebody beat me to that one, so... I was left with gang related, which oh, I which I dear. which I embraced with both Glocks. Yeah, <laughs> both forty fours. I think you meant to say. All right, before <laughs> before we get into this um, baffling piece of nineteen ninety seven filmmaking, uh, do we have any pod business, Jeb? Absolutely not. All right. I will note that it has now been over a year since the last new episode, so I believe we can now declare the Denisons legally dead. All in favor? Motion carried. All right. I mean, I really I feel like this is one of those things, given that neither of us has made it past the 30-second mark in a Denisons episode, where it's like the county coroner is a vet and we're not qualified. Yeah. <laughs> to pronounce time or cause of death. But um, if anything happens with that, we will get back to you still not having listened to the Denisons. Moving on to our topic today, which is gang no hyphen related. Here is a plot summary from the New York Times review by Lawrence Van Gelder. Quote, assigned to the homicide squad, Da Vinci, James Belushi, James now. And Rodriguez, Tupac Shakur in his final role, specialize in padding their paychecks by selling narcotics, collecting the money, and then retrieving the drugs for further resale by killing their customers in drive-by shootings that are written off as gang-related slayings. Drink. Da Vinci, who contends he is performing a public service by ridding the city of human garbage, is saving to finance a yacht and life under the palm trees in Hawaii. Rodriguez is trying to pay off a $27,942 gambling debt. Why so specific, Larry? To an insistent loan shark whose pilot fish is a whale-sized goon. But one night, after Da Vinci's mistress, a stripper named Cynthia Webb, Layla Rashon, has set up the detective's latest mark, Dumb Becomes Dumber. Their victim turns out to be a Drug Enforcement Administration agent working undercover, and his fate and the coincidence-packed screenplay by the writer and director Jim Koof, Kauf would have it. Da Wasn't Vinci sure. and Rodriguez are assigned to crack the case. And quote, what this leaves out is the farcical series of attempts that ensues to pin the drive-by on someone else. Their final target is an unhomed alcoholic named, they think, Joe Doe. That's Dennis Quaid, who at first glance appears to be replicating Liam Neeson's work early on in Suspect. But of course, all is not as it appears, which is good, because the Merkin Moebius around Quaid's head for the bulk of the movie's runtime appears to have been dragged through a carving platter of corpse wax. Now, have I missed anything? You've actually left out most of it, even in the size of that description. But (laughs) (laughs) I think no, no. (laughs) The real answer is no. Yeah. Um... (laughs) So I can't believe I'm referring to this movie again. Well, I'll, I'll get back to that thought. But reset the cuffs uh, reference counter to zero. 
Um, <laughs> this... <laughs> For those playing along at home, the cuffs counter stands at zero. <laughs> I just didn't understand what I was watching most of the time. Like, I, I did not find this an objectionable hour and 50 minutes exactly. There were some really good performances in there. Uh, Shakur, as always, is charming enough to offset and charismatic enough to offset a lot of shite. And I saw Poetic Justice in the theater, granted for the air conditioning, but I thought he was pretty good in that, too. Mm-hmm. But I just don't... I don't understand. I saw it for the air conditioning. Is that I read it for the articles for bad movies? Like- <laughs> yes, that is also why I saw Cuffs. <laughs> Double zero! <laughs> I know. It's, it's just never moving off zero. We don't, we don't have any other numbers. I told you that. Um, I just found this tonally enjoyable, but also inappropriate and bizarre. Was that just me? No, I think that's fair. I, I don't think the movie, I, I think maybe the movie had too much courage of it's going to be so compelling that we're going to drop you into the middle of this and you're going to be invested in these people, even though they're relentlessly doing things that you would dislike. <laughs> and it still kind of works anyway. But I think maybe either the pacing or the intensity of that negativity at the outset just sort of hamstrings it. We don't really get to the point where we would wonder why we were like sort of rooting for or even curious about jimmy and tupac so like i don't know i mean i think i I think it was a noble failed experiment in being a kind of anti-hero story about an anti-hero policy and procedure in society with a bunch of anti-heroes involved but i don't know you got to give him something like at least dr house is funny right yeah yeah i mean did this seem like it was trying to be two things at once to you kevin it it feels to me given how much how many cars crash into each other and how many characters main and small wind up dead quite bloodily so by the end of this movie the movie seems seems curiously lacking in kinetic energy to me it feels like they got a whole bunch of really interesting people because like when the credits rolled, I'm like, oh my God, like Dennis Quaid and Tiny Lister and right. Kumo D and and some guy that I swear to God I thought was Dominic West wearing a blonde wig, but wasn't. And I was disappointed. <laughs> um, we'll have a quote oh, from I thought that later. was uh, uh, Winter's younger brother, the yes. how do you like them apples guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just like, man, there's and Leela Roshan. There's a lot of really interesting people in this movie. And the movie we got looks like they all showed up because someone invited them to hang out with each other. And they're like, oh, yeah, we got to make a movie, too. Oh, I, I, I was just here to 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 play volleyball with Tiny Lister and to, um, you know, to 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 talk, you know, to talk Wild Wild West memories with Cool Modi. And like there's there's a <laughs> the there's a nobody seems all that excited to tackle the job at hand. That was that was the feeling I kind of got from it. It just seemed like a, a string of um, vignettes that had yes. already been written that there were then were dropped into what was trying to be some kind of L.A. noir. And like the vignettes work if you remove them from the fact that your so-called protagonist antiheroes are corrupt murderers, basically. And see also this ADA who keeps getting these hilarious, huge reaction. What? Like, a, a, yeah. bless <laughs> Wendy Crewson, but it's like, what? <laughs> there are two movies happening here. And particularly in scenes where she's in the courtroom with Dennis Quaid, who is like, set glowers to kill. It's just, 
doesn't work. But then within the teeny vignettes, like this string of attempts to pin this crime on someone so that the DEA, specifically Gary Cole, will leave them alone. All right. It's actually pretty funny. I forgot the year before Office Space, here's Gary Cole being the, yeah, in this movie too. Yeah, that they're like, oh, we'll we'll find a TPS report. Just give us 48 hours. Um, here is clip <laughs> you two. You can just with... find me probable cause. That would be great. Okay. <laughs> here is uh, clip two, which is the even lesser Winters. <laughs> Alibying himself in a pretty hilarious fashion. And my gun. That's what they all say. Yeah, I wish it was. No better gun than a Smitty and Wes 44 mag. With the serial numbers filed off. Got any bullets? <laughs> Who did I kill? Where were you last Friday night? <laughs> you mean what's my alibi, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was breaking and entering. Jewelry store on 7th and Front about 9 o'clock. Not even close to your jurisdiction. And I got the rocks to prove it. Hey, sorry I can't help you guys. But 1 to 5 is way better than 10 to life. Know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I do. This scene (laughs) belongs in a different movie. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, I feel like I know what you mean by that. But say say a little bit more about he belongs in a different movie, because I love that notion. And I'm trying to and I don't feel smart enough to to say more about. Uh, well, that right I just now. think that these these vignettes and the general tone, the way that scenes are blocked and like someone's always like mm. like the earlier in the movie, they break into uh, someone's apartment to sort of like roust a the usual suspects and mm-hmm. uh, Belushi has like an ongoing bit in that scene about hurting his shoulder. Like, Oh yeah. This just feels like this was supposed to be a comedy and much lighter, but then we are dropped into the middle of this. Like, and I don't understand why it was necessary to make the protagonists as scuzzy as they did. And then spend all this time watching Tupac wander sadly down rainy, puddly alleyways, having Mm. feelings about his own moral turpitude. It's just, they're not weaving together properly. No. You know, and and this was 1997, right? Mm -hmm. This is a full decade after Lethal Weapon. This is, this is, this is, we are at the point in the popular culture where the cop retiring to buy the fishing boat in Hawaii is a stone cold cliche at this point. I think the Simpsons have already made fun of it, you know, where Rainier Wolfcastle's partner shows the picture of the boat he's buying and then dies. Uh Um, Oh, the live forever. Yes. The live forever. Exactly. I mean, so, (laughs) so beginning the movie with other Belushi showing Tupac Shakur the picture of the fishing boat in Hawaii that he wants to buy. Yeah, I saw that and I definitely said, oh, well, this is this is a comedy. This is this is a knowing comedy about cop buddy cliches. And yeah, and then it took a dark turn real fast that I don't think it earned and we didn't deserve. Well, or it wanted to. Yeah, I never quite bought the darkness like it's, <laughs> it's Belushi. 
wearing a pork pie of some sort. Like, okay. I'm really glad that you made the Lethal Weapon comparison because I was going to insist on playing this bit of saxophonery. <laughs> uh, because it definitely felt like lesser Sanborn, but I, it did kind of feel like maybe this was pitched uh, to, to somebody and they were like, listen, I love Lethal Weapon. I get why you want to make another Lethal Weapon. But the thing about Lethal Weapon is it forgot it's supposed to be about the homicidal insanity. And so we need to take it back to its roots. Like Lethal Weapon <laughs> lost the thread and just got too funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the problem with Lethal Weapon. <laughs> yeah. This director also wrote Rush Hour and National Treasure, apparently. And uh, his only other directorial effort was a 1980s picture called Disorganized Crime, which I think is probably everything that we need to know about all of that. Yeah, I think that was a, a way station in Corbin Burnson's short <laughs> film career, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds about right. Um, we uh, sort of skipped over the contemporary reviews, but the aforementioned Van Gelder called the movie overplotted and said that this guy has done better work. Apparently, he also wrote the original Stakeout, which hey. I liked. I liked that movie. Um, but yeah, me too. That had a slapsticky tone that could work and understood when it was not called for. And this doesn't seem to do that. Washington Post Stephen Hunter praised it by saying, quote, the plot continually refuses to be predictable. Really? <laughs> and the storm the story moves smoothly, does it? From dark farce to courtroom drama to menacing melodrama to a final Hitchcockian twist ending that leaves justice satisfied, if not the law pleased, end quote. Uh, that's one of those Ebert, let's make the best of this two hours of air conditioning. <laughs> reviews <laughs> roger needing a win that day no. <laughs> like well i've already stepped in dog shit so let's try to turn this frown upside down again i don't i don't necessarily think it's bad it's just like watching a platypus running you're like well that you know that that was a that was flawed in its inception but <laughs> nothing to do about it now it it exists within the field of platypus running you know, it's like archetypal, right? It's just nailed the model. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. It's just that. <laughs> yeah, it moves right along, That this platypus. I'll, I'll give it that. You started with an animal with a lethal spike on it and a duck face. Okay. <laughs> yeah, a couple, couple notes there. Um, no notes for Tupac, though. He's great, given that it's sort of unclear what this script wants him to do or be. Yeah. Sometimes it seems to want the whole thing to be Rodriguez's POV, but then other times we're just off with David Paymer. <laughs> oh, yes. So, yeah, here's a uh, Tupac suggesting that he could have actually done a legit funny, intended to be funny buddy movie in clip three. What's the worst case scenario? Huh? What, are you joking me? No. What are you playing? You mean what's worse than what we've done that can still happen? Or what's worse if this shit doesn't work out, blows up in our face, we go to jail, get sent to the electric chair, then we die, then we go to fucking hell. Worse than that? I really wonder if the fucking in fucking hell was scripted because there's just something about like in the middle of this rant, this like perfectly <laughs> extraneous swearing, which of course speaks to my heart. 
I mean, I just thought that I thought that Breathless Delivery was very good. He's really good in this. He's very watchable. Again, this movie does a lot of things right. They just most of them don't all belong in the same room together. That's all. Yeah, no, I, I'd like just to, the the David Paymer thing was another <laughs> example. Like he, we suddenly are in a legal drama with the avuncular legendary James Earl Jones showing up to unite a family with their lost son. And you have the right. struggling but well-meaning David Paymer, who I love him. He's a good actor, but he definitely has been typecast even by then as sort of like, I could see him as the DA, like, you know, yeah. basically, I'm, I don't care what the evidence is. I'm going to prosecute somebody like he doesn't seem to have a moral unctuousness that you would need for his role. He definitely has a like, well, whatever I, you know, let's just get it out the door kind of vibe. I mean, he's definitely trying to do something in his few scenes, but unfortunately for him and really all of us, the last thing I happened to have seen Paymer in was a 21 Jump Street episode in which he was playing a child pornographer. So, oh man, that, yeah, that top note lingers. I have this theory that the script for this movie and the script for the movie Primal Fear were kicking around at the same time. Mm-hmm. And... Primal Fear is, is we now know, is the movie that kind of made Ed Norton into a movie star. I'm not spoiling anything. The movie's 27 years old, but it came out the year before this. And Ed Norton is a person on trial who we are convinced is innocent. And then by a very quick twitch in the eyes from uh, Frightened Rabbit to, uh, I don't know, Benicula, maybe, he, he becomes, um, he, it's very clear that Ed Norton is the villain of the story. And my theory is that Dennis Quaid saw Ed Norton. I, I believe Ed Norton was maybe even nominated for an Oscar for that role or some some trophy of some sort. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and said, "Wow, there's a lot you can do. You know, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of mileage to be gained from sitting behind the defendant's table and and looking twitchy in the eyes and then undergoing a transformation. You know, this is maybe and and." shooting schedule for a movie of this sort doesn't seem too demanding. It's based in LA. Maybe, maybe I can get some of that. Maybe I can get some of that Ed Norton good fortune from, from doing this role, because th- that sounds like a tortured rationale, but that's kind of the only one I can think of for, for him being in this movie, because other than shaving his beard, it doesn't ask much of him. And, and also defying medical licensing logic somehow he ends up somehow he ends up back working at the hospital in scrubs after having not practiced medicine for eight years i don't think that's the way medicine works i think i think you need to reapply for your license or something like that but well, and also given that he's like a kennedy of some sort i just don't think any of this is i don't think this is how amnesia works i don't think this is how no no alcoholism works i don't think this is how beards work i just don't think that's how any of it works, but we will we will get to Dennis Quaid's role in this platypus uh, in a bit. Kevin, did you have more on uh, the uh, rise of the hip hop star as movie star? The two things that I, I, I think may be important takeaways from this movie, and I say that very advisedly, are uh, Tupac Shakur made this is one of three movies that came out after his death. So he made this and and the two movies like it, which I believe were called Gridlocked and uh, I don't remember what the other one was called, in very rapid succession. So I, I, I know the man had a hell of a work ethic. He released six albums before his death at the age of 25. And so, uh, and was in a half a dozen movies too. Uh, there's a famous story of him like getting out of jail and essentially taking a limousine to the studio and 
locking himself in the studio for a, a week straight, not eating, not sleeping, and finishing a move uh, an album. But I, I'm I'm a little bit curious to see the other two because I feel like they may have they, they may have all been versions of this one, or they may have all been kind of filmed at the same time because. He dies in September of 96, and these movies get released like once, one every eight months until there are no more left. The only other thing that's interesting to me about this movie is um, this comes at a very bountiful time for hip-hop stars becoming movie stars. We're sort of at the beginning of the ascent of Queen Latifah's film career at this point. Ice Cube is already a movie star in 1997, having worked on two John Singleton movies and and written Friday, which became a huge hit in 95, I believe. And I guess it just makes me sad that there wasn't more of a film career for Cool Modi because yeah. you know, he's only in this movie for a minute, but he certainly has the charisma for it. He he really did. I was, uh, I was sad that he got um, catalyzed, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Early on in this, because he de- he definitely was uh, where your eye went on screen on the in the brief period that he was uh, that he was on it. Um, I guess we gotta rate this. Unless Jeb, you have any other overarching. The two things that that kind of stuck with me were you know just in the other movie where this is an indictment of the war on drugs. <laughs> there were the two bits from Belushi that I thought were were good and they were worthy of a movie that did more with the lines i thought were one his saying we're the teachers and two and two can add up to five if it's our classroom in terms of what is legitimate testimony in terms of deciding who is and isn't a murderer and then also the we're the cops on this case this is our case we're gonna find the fucking killer we are the fucking killers since when does that matter huh yeah it's like (laughs) Good lines that deserved a better movie than the one that they're in. But I will point out that the central fallacy of this movie uh, rests on, like, or the two is one that these guys couldn't get another 44 to commit murders with. They had to get one from the property room that then was going to be used in another murder trial, which seems like if you're 11 bodies deep at this point or 10 bodies deep (laughs) by the time you drop the 11th, you would have figured out, like, maybe just, like, popping down the property room like it's an AM, PM is not a good idea. Um, And then the double murderer, Clyde, who gets off because of this property room shenanigans, gets off despite the fact that he is shot through the door multiple times at the police. The police were there at the time. And he's, like, tackled and beaten the shit out of a bailiff in the courtroom. Yeah. Like, any jury in America isn't going to just convict that guy anyway. Yeah. Well, and didn't, I mean, I feel like the um, the limousine coda, like, after the last seduction, just don't, just don't go near that for, like, five to ten years. How did we feel about Belushi in this? I actually didn't mind him. I thought he was... Like, given the movie that he thought he was in, he was doing pretty well. Yeah, I always thought the knock on Belushi was kind of unfair because he's just not his brother. I don't know. You know, like, uh, he's, he's doing well here, I thought. Yeah, I mean, my, my problem with Belushi isn't, it isn't him per se, and it's not that he's not his brother either. It's that that, according to Jim Persona, is like, I think you cast him for that and he delivers that every time. I just don't want that. But here it was less objectionable. Kevin, thoughts? I, I think the according to Jim person, uh, persona would have worked just fine in this movie if either Belushi had used it to to as kind of ballast against the idea that this guy is actually a psychopath. That could have been interesting. Um, I, 
I don't think it's his fault that the movie never, that the movie's direction never really asks that of him. It, it should have. But the idea of, of a, a, a Jim Belushi or a Kevin James or, or someone like that, right. um, playing someone who turns out to be a violent lunatic, like that's, that's actually kind of interesting. Like there, there's, there's, there's a movie to be made from that. Um, and I, I, Paul Blart Rampart. Investigate. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I, I just don't think I don't think the I don't think the movie recognizes fully what it has. Um, yeah. Or, or I, I think as you two are saying, it's maybe just assembled out of it's maybe just assembled out of the spare parts of a half a dozen other movies and couldn't have. Yeah. Right. So I would I would suggest there is this key critical scene with his wife. Frank, this is no way to repair our marriage. You know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> she says after he takes a call and he's like, I got to go to the station at two in the morning. Like we have this hint that he is a family man and he's working on it. And maybe they just cut that half an hour. He was Jim. They just didn't have time. It's yeah. her only line, which I completely forgot about until you just mentioned it. N not for nothing. And, and by the way, like the movie, not to not to criticize Mr. Belushi's appearance or countenance, but the story makes just as much sense if. Layla Roshan is Tupac Shakur's mistress. Then, if it's then, then, then if her character is Jim Belushi's mistress, and I have a hard time believing that Layla Roshan is interested in in you know that. mildly accomplished homicide cop Jim Belushi, who's on his way out the door on his fishing boat to Hawaii anyway. I guess I, I mm -hmm. it was implied that her participation in that situation was uh, compelled. Got it. Which, again, wrong movie. Like, yeah, I think the movie wants you to root for these crazy kids, even though she's a cynic. He's a whatever he is. And <laughs> looks like, you know, a Belushi. And so, sure. But then it's like, I think actually she's, you know, she's fucking him so she doesn't get taken to jail and participates in these scams so that she can make a little extra money on the side, but I don't know. Wh which movie are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> That's a better question. Yeah. Also, you know, Tupac was too busy with his gambling problem to take a girl out, right, and show her a good time. And so that's when Jim Belushi was able to swoop in and also extort her in her time of crisis. And uh -huh. there we go. Bada bing, bada boom, problem solved. Okay. Yeah. Well, and then there's yeah. that whole... I get the feeling that there are whole other movies, like if they just gone through the door of this gambling problem, like um, one act that's happening with like the poor man's Joel Grey and the guy who's twice his size, like I- Tiny Lister. Tiny Lister, yeah. Just, you know, there's too many movies happening. I guess we should be grateful yeah. that they got all of them in under two hours, but yeah, a lot of, lot of dangling threads. And this is without even talking about- what the fuck Dennis Quaid thinks he's doing, but uh, let's mm -hmm. let's rate the film overall, shall we? Someone else go first, please. Our guest. Let's make our guest do it. <laughs> uh, remind me what the... I was going to rate based on what Sarah said about dangling threads, and I was going to say at least a sweater and a half's worth, but I, <laughs> I, I know that's, that those aren't the term, those aren't the, that isn't the rating metric you guys use. So I am judging gang-related based on what? what? On what scale? I One mean. to ten. One being the worst and ten being the best sweater. I feel like it's kind of a, a, a four, maybe a low five. It, it, it feels they got a... I'm stuck on how many good people they got to show up for this not very good movie. 
it's not going to happen, but I would be much more interested in the behind the scenes documentary of everybody <laughs> in this movie hanging out than the movie they were there to actually make. Yeah. So four and a half. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I can take that, too. That was I was in the same kind of quandary. It's like it's not half good, but it's almost good enough to or interesting enough to watch anyway. I'm like, is that a five? Is that like dead in the middle? But it is a quilt of drop threads. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> it's better than a sweater, even a sweater on Tiny Lister. That's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but en- enough that, you know, the picture doesn't quite cohere and, and uh, that that is a problem. So like if you're watching it, trying to extrapolate the missing half an hour of his according to Jim lifestyle with his wife who just wants to sleep, uh, you're probably not going to have a great time. But like if you're watching Tupac, you might have a great time. I mean, I, it's it's fun to watch him be moody, you know, and, and to... It's a little sad to speculate on what we missed out on. And I mean, I, I like uh, like I like watching Dennis Quaid just doing a random jailhouse confession, but more on that later. Um, I mean, if it was the sort of movie that still showed up on TNT and you were hungover and just sort of lying there, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I think that platypus can run, but it's still a platypus. <laughs> so that's right in the middle for me. I'm giving it a five. Ta-da! Okay, <laughs> Quaid qua Quaid. <laughs> <laughs> now seems like a good time to mention that there are visual aids for this and every other episode of Quaid in Full. You could see those at least in part on our Twitter account, Quaid in Full Pod. And then we also have a Patreon page where you will get the works. May I petition that we include one of the ones where he's sort of like lit by a headlight where it just looks like Dennis comes alive, like the amazing double LP. <laughs> <laughs> and he's peering through his fingers. As though there's not a boom mic anywhere near him. Oh, God. I, I, I have compassion for Dennis Quaid in this moment because I think Kevin is exactly right that this was shopped to him as his primal fear slash the other part of suspect. And um, it's not going to be a lot of shooting days and this mustache peels right. This nest will peel right off your face and um there are you know fugitive aspects to this and provasic i I mean i don't i don't know what he was told (laughs) thank you i don't know what he was told i don't know what he heard but i'm pretty sure oscar bait like best supporting oscar bait was on the um docket of what of what he was pitched um it's just not his fault that he appears to be in a completely different movie and like a thoroughbred with the the blinkers on so he doesn't see the other horses and get spooked out of his lane. It's just like, nope, to stare straight ahead. Occasionally wild eye rolling some drool. We wouldn't be averse to some drool. And then, uh, then you're a doctor again, all better. I really can't let go of the idea of of Dennis Quaid like looking at what the actual shooting script is and going like I didn't agree to this and the director going I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's it that's it. That's all I know about the fugitive except the janitor from Scrubs is in it. So <laughs> if uh Anyone want to run with that? That's good, but I'm out. Uh, we we don't get a dramatic scene of Dennis Quaid shaving his beard in this movie the way we got, you know, 17 minutes worth in The Fugitive. But I will admit, I, I have not spent the time with this actor's filmography that you two have. So I was actually 
maybe the person they had in mind at the very beginning where I was like, hmm, according to the credits, Dennis Quaid is a character named William, in quotes. I missed the quotes. Um, but there is a homeless guy in this movie that bears a passing resemblance to Dennis Quaid named Joe. So I wonder if Joe is a different actor who bears a passing resemblance to Dennis Quaid and William will show up at some point. That, that was me the first 43 minutes of this movie. Um, and, that sounds uh, like a wonderful place to live. <laughs> it was naive to a fault. But yeah, I was kind of waiting for like I was kind of waiting for what became the James Earl Jones role to be the Dennis Quaid role, like like the the attorney that swoops in and that swoops in and alters the course of the case. I was thinking that was going to be William, but oh. I, I I don't know why I didn't pick up on you know what it is. This I could not see good? the Dennis Quaid laconic smile behind the big beard. Uh, That's how I didn't know it was Dennis. Yeah, Quaid. yeah. they hid the mouth. That was smart. Yeah. Yeah. And there was so no. If, if, if it makes you feel any better, I completely forgot they billed him as William in it. Like, and mm -hmm. I should be looking directly for that. So, like, I just think that, you know, that probably didn't stay with a lot of people. You know, no, how many people were going in, like, I not only know every detail of Dennis Quaid's eye line, <laughs> but I remember everything I read in the credits because honestly, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, I think even if I had not been paying professional attention to the credits to to do stuff for the visual aids i think because we have seen this we've seen a variation on this um terrifying attempt to fake grow hair on dennis quaid and was it enemy <laughs> mine where we were like what what is that material that this has happened before and i was like oh yes the the gleam of spirit gum it's a chitinous exoskeleton he develops in the event of Oscar presence. <laughs> <laughs> and, and failing that, there's always the acting. <clears throat> here's, uh, here's the Oscar reel in clip four. I had an affair with another woman. A nurse at the hospital I worked at. It was uh, something. I don't remember much about her, except that my wife found out about it. We had a fight. She left the house, she took the kids. She was hysterical. I should have done something. Gone after him, I don't know. died in a car accident about a mile from the house no <laughs> no this this <laughs> no 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 this is a torn page from the prologue of shawshank redemption even though that movie came later but this is uh, no this it is came earlier it did, oh, it, oh it did yeah it did Okay, yeah, well then that's exactly where this comes from. This is this is Andy Dufresne on the witness stand talking about how he ended up in this pickle. Um But it's uh, but it's it, also Jason Priestley as Brandon Walsh busted for drunk driving and trying to do baby cry voice. Yeah. yeah. This is an actor that you cast because he thinks take a flying fuck at a rolling donut is something people actually do. You can't give that guy this. And I cannot help but suspect that 
given that he is basically given this softball on a tee by his celly, who may be the director, I, I didn't look, with this <laughs> very guess. expositional, like, why don't you just tell us the name of your <laughs> guilt-induced amnesia? And he's like, well, and eats a bunch of onions, and then we're all off to the races involuntarily. It's, I mean, it's not entirely his fault, but it's not not his fault. No. And it's not needed. The plot of this movie requires no explanation of how Dennis Quaid's character ended up this way, because they've already said how he ended up his way in some conversation between the lawyers and the, and the cops. Like, yeah, and then it was in like diegetic news footage. And I didn't have to feel conflicted about him. Like, it would be okay. Not everybody has to be this gray. You can just have this guy be a victim. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. So... There's a big gap, I think, we all agree, between what Dennis Quaid surely thought this was going to be in his uh, CV and what it ended up being. And I'm, I'm not even sure how to rate it. Like, I think we have to use colors, maybe, this time? <laughs> like, this is brown. <laughs> and not, not the good kind like you like. This is not Quaidy at all. He doesn't even show up in the movie for a while. You can't even tell it's him until like an hour and 10 minutes in. And that scene is a no. Two and a half from me on the Quaid. Yeah, I'll go at two. Mm. I wouldn't even say he's doing his best with it. Or maybe he is, and that's wholly inadequate. But I think more to the point, like he, he, he probably should have, I think he should have objected, or at least his agent should have objected to this being in the movie at all. So I'm, right, but it I'm seems going to, like it was requested, to... never mind objected to. <laughs> Me, you know what? I'm going down to a two. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you, Sarah. I'm going with a two. I believe the only zero we've given out <laughs> has been for stripes in which we, we can't confirm even that he appeared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th I think you threw a point two somewhere, but I'd have to go back and look. You, are you going to zero this guy? I'm going to give it a one because I know he was physically there. Uh -huh. I will give it a one because there was a moment, I think in like, file footage of him where he seemed like dignified Dennis Quaid, but definitely Quaidy Quaid. Uh -huh. Enough that I, I remarked to myself, hey, that's Dennis Quaid. Uh -huh. So mm -hmm. since I had a moment where I was like, hey, that's Dennis Quaid in this movie, I'll count it. But in every other respect, like, no, absolutely not. You can't physically see him and like his mouth, you know, so how can it be that Quaidy, right? He, he has a non-winking character, so the eyes are out. You know, and then you have this just, just travesty of a, uh, so, Sully, let me just undermine the only narrative that's probably going to keep me out of prison if all the physical evidence fails. Like, I don't know. No. <laughs> Fie on you. One. Yeah, this is... <laughs> This is 200 points on the SAT just for putting your name at the top of the test, but oh that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Everybody in Shawshank's innocent. Don't you know that by now? Well, this was a weird one, and there were a few Cuffs references, but uh, we got through it. Any parting thoughts on gang space related? <laughs> I would like to know that if you're going to make this pun and you're going to screw me over on the punctuation... Shouldn't someone be cousins with someone or something? Do you think that also got cut? In the version of this movie made in 2021, the Jim Belushi character and the Tupac Shakur character are cousins. 
And I take a little bit of relief that the movie at least opened up the possibility of what it could be in the future. Apparently, this is a cult film. I do wonder if some some young, you know, director with a little juice who loved this movie as as a youth would consider remaking it. If so, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But um, (laughs) yeah, the, the, the part that the part that baffles me about the title gang related is there's almost no reference to gang activity in this movie. Yeah. Like, like. It's just like they picked a phrase that that people repeated more than once and decided to make that the title of the movie. The movie could have been called "Hey, Look Out" or "Close the Car Door" or something like that. Like, we need a forty-four. <laughs> it, it feels it feels strangely like the last relic of the polemical movie that maybe was somewhere in the original draft. If you're you're just going like ah, oh, let's not investigate it. We'll put no man hours to it. It's gang related. Like I feel like in the original draft there were a lot of dismissive. Like, oh, don't worry about it. It's gang related. Mm. Yeah. Nobody's going to care. And then somehow none of those got like one. I think he says it once. Or I think maybe it's like the, the cop who's on scene when they arrive to investigate it or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think that's but right. For whatever reason, they were like, let's keep the thoughtful aspect of the title, even though it doesn't help us at all. And it's not really descriptive of this movie, but we'll keep that. We, we thought that was good. From yet another movie that, mm, yeah. <laughs> that that somehow bolted on the side of this one. Speaking of other movies, Kevin Smokler, where else can listeners find you and your works? Everything is at kevinsmokler.com. My last name is spelled S-M-O-K-L-E-R. My documentary, Vinyl Nation, that I co-directed with Christopher Boone about the comeback of vinyl records in America, is at vinylnationfilm.com. Excellent. Nice. And... Uh, decidedly more coherent than this picture. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome, guys. Thanks for having me. Next time on Quaid in Full, the artist formerly known as Kidnapped, Switchback. In the meantime, put a pin in that Hawaii trip and check out our show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod and get even more content at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Quaid in Full. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jed Lund and edited by Jed Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Gyrate expressionlessly over to your podcast app and sign up and rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. We fucked up, man. We fucked up once. Once out of ten. Come on, that's not bad. <laughs>